Welcome to the Runner's World Show, where each week we entertain, inspire, and inform you about all things running. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief of Runner's World, and this week in the kick, we just can't help ourselves. We need to talk just a little bit more about the Olympics. These games were so incredible, especially when it came to the distance running events, and we're going to wrap up the high points of these games in Rio. We've also got a few tips from Runner's World editors on running on the treadmill. It is, after all, the dog days of August, and it's getting a little warm around here. But first, executive editor Tish Hamilton speaks with Dimity McDowell and Sarah Bowen Shea, co-founders of Another Mother Runner, an online training community and support network of female runners, and also hosts of a really great podcast. Tish talks with Dimity and Sarah about why their group resonates with so many women across the country. Motherhood, we we hold it up as this beautiful thing where, you know, you have a child and all of a sudden your life is fulfilled because, you know, your loins have bared fruit or whatever. You know, you finally have this like purpose for living. And in fact, it's awesome, but it's also completely isolating. It's a candid and very funny talk. So stick around and thanks for joining us. Both Dimity McDowell and Sarah Bowen Shea are writers and longtime contributors to Runner's World. In fact, it was a feature story they did for the magazine about training together for the Nike Women's Marathon in San Francisco that led to the eventual launch of their company, Another Mother Runner. Their editor for that story, and their editor still today, is executive editor Tish Hamilton. Recently, Tish caught up with Sarah and Dimity to talk about how their company has grown and about who it's for, because despite its name, you don't even have to be a mom or a runner, at least not yet. And as a father of three, I got to tell you, this conversation really hit home with me. Another Mother Runner is about combining a running life with the craziness of daily life as a parent. And this conversation touches on why being honest and authentic about things like depression and exploding diapers, as well as great workouts and lousy races, why it all can be so empowering and, more importantly, liberating. All right, I am here today with two of my favorite writers of all time, and I call them my writers, Sarah Bowen Shea and Dimity McDowell Davis. Hello, my dear friends. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Tish. It's great to be with you. Hi, Dimity. Hi, my editor. You're my favorite editor, too. <laughs> um, so I was thinking about how long I've known you guys, and I think that uh, we met like in the mid-90s, so um, a good long while. And I'm wondering, though, h- how do you guys describe to people who don't know you what it is that you do and what is this thing that you guys have called Another Mother Runner? Another Mother Runner started back in 2005 when I was pregnant with my second child and knew that postpartum depression was going to hit me hard unless I had a goal and a reason to get up every morning after I had this child. And so I went all gonzo on it and decided that I needed to run a marathon. I asked my friend Sarah um, if she would do it, and she said yes. And then we, as freelance sports and fitness writers, talked to you, Tish, um, about documenting our experiences. We ran the 2007 Nike Women's Marathon. That turned into a feature story in Runner's World in 2008, um, which we turned into a book in 2010 called Run Like a Mother. We talked about everything from your finishing times to 
what happens, you know, when your boobs are too leaky to go on a run. We definitely like, brought it all out there. So the organic community kind of sprouted up around Run Like a Mother. I mean, our publicist back at our book publishing company was like, you need a Facebook page. And we were like, why? I only go on Facebook to get like jealous of other people's vacation photos. Like that's not something I need. Um, but she really pushed it. And what we did is instead of just being self-promoting and saying, here's our book, here's who we are, we put up questions from people. And a friend of ours started calling us the Dear Abby of women's running. Um, so Run Like a Mother covers everything from hills to husbands. And we realized that a lot of our people, our tribe, didn't know um, a lot about racing because they came to running later in life. So we wrote a book called Train Like a Mother, which focuses on training. We added a podcast. We started doing in, in um, parties around the country to meet women. Um, we added a mother runner store. Finally, our last book, Tales from Another Mother Runner, came out last year. Tish, you have an amazing essay in about it. In it, um, there's 22 essays from a range of mother runners writing about everything from their first 5K and kind of running from family history to qualifying for Boston. And then the last little bit is um, in January of this year, we launched Train Like a Mother Club. And that is basically because we realized, again, going back to training, the race is the fun part. The race is the party. Um, we want to make sure that people are ready to come to the starting line and ready to rock and roll in the training for 15 weeks for a half marathon or 20 weeks for a marathon. That's hard to get through by yourself. So what we do is we support them from the first step to the finish line with you know, training plans and a Facebook page and swag and videos and just all this stuff to kind of keep them motivated, especially if they're running alone um, in their little communities. Sarah, um, can you tell us a little bit about your community? Who, who's in your community? So, yes, we are. So Dimity's in Denver and I'm in Portland, Oregon. So we are accustomed to interacting over the Internet. And so that we have mother runners and women who might only have fur babies or who might not have any um, one depending on them for meals or anything like that. So that um, despite the company's name, we you don't have to be a mother to be a part of another mother runner. We all are love running or want to become runners. And so it's people everywhere from stepping up to walking and running their first 5K to doing their 15th marathon to taking on an ultra marathon. How did um, you and Sarah meet? I know you have shared background of sport, but. Well, so our shared sport is actually rowing. And the year that I graduated from Colgate, we both went to Colgate University in upstate New York. Um, the year that I graduated, I was the captain of the team. And, um, and it was the 20th anniversary of women's rowing at Colgate. And so Sarah and her hus then husband, who was also a Colgate grad, and her now husband is also a Colgate grad, the roots run deep, right? They, um, they came up and celebrated at this banquet, and I was introduced there um, to you, Sarah. And then um, Sarah helped me get my first job in New York City. This was back pre-internet. Our email was just coming out. And um, I wrote to her because she was one of the few Colgate alum in publishing. She was working at Walking Magazine at the time. And I had an internship at Sports Illustrated for Kids, and I really wanted to stay in the magazine world. And um, she called me up and she said, I've got a job for you or an interview for you. And that turned into a job. And so our paths crossed again and again because as we were both sports and fitness writers. Um, and then, you know, it really solidified when I was pregnant with my second kid, who's now almost 10. Um, and he, and uh, I really wanted to run a marathon after he was born. I really wanted to have a goal that um, 
I could focus on to kind of beat uh, postpartum depression, which is what I'd suffered with after my first child was born. And so I thought to myself, who could I ask that will not say no? Because if, if somebody would have said no, like I would have been like, okay, fine, that was a bad idea anyway, forget it. You know, like I definitely needed a, a, a yes in the first round. And, um, and so Sarah was the person that I knew wouldn't say no. And she said yes, and, and we took it from there. When did you start running? I feel like I really became a runner when I moved to New York. So that was in 95. Um, and then I ran the 97 New York City Marathon. Um, I, when I moved to New York, you know, I made, um, I think my first salary was maybe $21,000. Um, and so a gym was out of the question. So I ran around Central Park a gazillion times. And then I watched my first marathon. I watched the probably the 96 New York City Marathon. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to do that. And, uh, and did it. And Sarah, when did you start running? I dabbled in it in high school, but not very much. I was not an athletic child at all. I come from a long line of bookish people. And so then when I got to Colgate, I fell in love with rowing and really, really wanted to get to be as good at that as I could and to be as strong and fit as I could. So I um, took up running as a cross training for rowing and then like Dimity, when I graduated from college, I was in the magazine industry. I did not make much money. So, and I lived in San Francisco, which is just, I think, the most beautiful U.S. city. Uh, so I wanted to be outside all the time. So I would run in San Francisco. So got cut my running teeth on many, many hills. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I would just get out there at, you know, 530 in the morning before I would catch the bus to go to work. And um, I just really enjoyed being outside and just checking out neighborhoods and things like that. So for me, running was started out as cross training and then became something I fell in love with. So you guys uh, trained for and ran the Nike Women's Marathon. And um, sort of from that marathon, you both trained for it. You both wrote about it uh, and you started this um, uh, a book and a training plan and growing your community. Why do you think, like, why do you think this did resonate so much? I mean, the biggest one that I think is that um, motherhood, we, we hold it up as this beautiful thing where, you know, you have a child and all of a sudden your life is fulfilled because, you know, your loins have bared fruit or whatever. You know, you finally have this like purpose for living. And in fact, it's awesome, but it's also completely isolating you know, it used to be your own free agent, and now that's not the case anymore. You're dictated by nap schedules and feeding schedules and colic and all these things. And so, you know, if you used to go to brunch and you used to go running whenever you wanted and you used to go to movies every Friday night, that's not happening anymore. You're staying in your house by yourself. Um, and a lot of people, you know, in our generation, they don't live near their families anymore, right? Like, I didn't live near my family for a really long time, and they actually moved out here, right? So, um, so I feel like we have given, you know, what, you know, I, I'm pretty honest about, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, I had postpartum depression. I struggled a lot. I, I continue to struggle. I, things are a lot better these days, but, um, but, you know, I am not alone. There are a lot of people that struggle from depression, especially women our age. And to not acknowledge that, I think is a disservice because then all of a sudden we're still holding up this beautiful picture and saying, oh my gosh, and plus I'm running marathons and look at how amazing I'm doing, when in fact inside I'm crumbling. And if you know that someone else is crumbling, it is strangely empowering 
say, okay, I'm not alone. Look at what she's doing. I can do this too if I have a community. And you rarely find that in life these days, right? And especially when we are, you know, the internet is so prevalent. Like it's just nice to have a place where you can go, okay, I've got a community. It resonates with me. And they're honest and they're authentic. And it's not, it's not just like, oh, I'm putting up my splits. Look at how fast I ran. And oh, and now I'm going to go take my kid to the zoo. And I am so happy all the time. Like, that's not my reality. That's not many people's reality. Yeah. I think that if I could chime, if I could chime in for a sec, I think honesty is the, what it all comes down to. It's that, that we're honest about running, that it's not always easy, that sometimes you hurt, sometimes you don't want to go sometimes you have a, a crummy run and it's the same thing, you know, and we're honest that way about motherhood, that it's not all, you know, uh, beautiful family photos on Facebook. And so just coming together and admitting that and being honest and transparent and, and along the way laughing about it together is really, um, t- I think really sh- sums up the vibe of another mother runner. I mean, it's, I mean, like I always say, you know, we always, when we go speak at races, I'm like, okay, motherhood's isolating. Running is a pretty solo sport. Here's our party. Like, go have a great time, you know? And that is, like, I mean, all of a sudden you have all these people around you who are like-minded and support your goals and realize how hard it is to do what you are doing. And so then, you know, we just basically do that in a virtual format and, like we said, sometimes in person. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, being a mother is challenging and being a runner is challenging also. Um, so, like, what is it about this particular combination? There's very little in our lives that are black and white, right? Where, like, either you did it or you didn't. Or, you know, so, like, you know, there's always another dinner to make. There's always some kind of drama going on at school. There's always, you know, a boss or a coworker that, you know, somet- somehow plays politics. Like, running is the thing you can do totally for yourself. You are completely in control of that. You get to go as far as you want. You get to go as fast as you want. And then you get to finish and feel like a rock star. And that, you know, I mean, especially for moms that that stay at home, you know, and have, you know, very little time to themselves. First of all, my hat goes off to them. And second of all, like, of course, running. Because when else are you going to listen to your own music and be with your own thoughts and not be like, mom, 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 and, you know, not have an audience in the bathroom? Like, they just, it, it, it goes together because it's, it's sanity, you know? Definitely. Um, Sarah, you have three kids. How old are they now? So we had a, a banner uh, year this, this year. We had our older daughter graduate or get promoted from eighth grade. And then I have boy-girl twins who just finished fifth grade. So next year in the fall, we'll be starting middle school and high school at the same time. And, oh, it's just going to be really great and fun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Fashion your seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> and, Dimity, how old are your kids now? Yeah, they're similar. I mean, I've got someone, I've got an almost 13-year-old who'll be in eighth grade, and then I've got a 10-year-old who'll be in fifth grade. So pretty similar ages. And and I have, my daughter is uh, 11 and going into seventh grade. So here's something I was thinking about with you guys and me, too. Being a mother of kids at different ages, um, it it changes the what running well, it changes how you can run, first off, because like Definitely. when they're tiny, you can't leave the house. Um, yes. And, and it changes uh, running's role in your life, I think. It's, you know, it's still important, but it's different, different kind of important. It certainly is easier. But, um, but I wanted to hear what you guys had to say about how running is different for you now as a mom, now that your kids are aging up. Well, you know, 
I really got to admit that one of the main reasons I run is to have a reason to get out of the house on weekends in particular. <laughs> that, that even when I'm not training for a race, I still make sure I just have to get out for at least an hour both days of the weekends because there's just too much friction between everybody. You know, it's like my house should start chafing. There's so much friction sometimes going on. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, um, I just like, you know, Dim was saying, you know, I want to listen to my music or I want to hear my thoughts or listen to a podcast or whatever it is, but that, um, you know, I mean, I think back to training. I did my first post, you know, my first marathon as a mom. I did when my older daughter was 14 months old. I had weaned her a week before the marathon. I still had like total milk filled jugs. And I'm not talking about jugs that you put on a kitchen counter um, uh, as I was running the marathon. And then, gosh, I think about when Dim and I were training for Nike Women's Marathon in 2007. And <laughs> awful story, but my the twins totally had like this total di- diaper blowout. And so it got all over the, uh, the carpeting going up to the third floor of our house, which our third floor of our house, our house was uh, renovated by a man with no children. So there's off white carpeting on those stairs going up. And, uh, <laughs> I was out, I was out for so long on a marathon training run that the accident was able, let's, let's call it the, the, the shit show, which was what it was, um, <laughs> happened. Jack, my husband was able to go rent a wet vac and wet vac the whole mess up. And I still, I got home and the stairs looked just a little cleaner than when I left. And it was just like, so I don't, so I don't face those same type of, um, blow ups, let's say, but still there's just a lot of, you know, my twins bicker at each other all the time. And, you know, Phoebe's asking me if she can go to Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, at midnight. And it's just all these dramas and demands that I just really need to escape from. So, um, yes, I can leave them home alone, but, um, you know, I still like to leave them behind. So, um, but, you know, I hope one day that they'll run alongside of me without griping about it, but we're not at that stage yet. Timothy, I I want to ask you about how running is different for you now versus when they were little kids. So let's reverse that. Like, what was it like to run when your kids were really little? Being up in the city or, you know, now in the suburbs full of minivans, when before anybody else is up or very few people are up is such a special time. And, you know, um, I I don't get sick of it ever, right? As, As soon as I can rally and get my lazy butt out of bed like I am always so glad I did and it's just such a it's like magic like even when you know it's cold and it's gray or whatever you just feel like oh my gosh I'm the only one seeing the sunrise or I'm the only one that got to see that bunny hop across the street or whatever it is and so when my kids were really little I was on a very very strict time schedule like I am home by you know I can't remember what it was but maybe 6 30 or something they're both early risers um now, you know, you know, I will say it is lovely that I can leave the kids at home um, by themselves. So now, especially in the summertime, you know, I can roll out of bed at 615 and they can get themselves to swim practice on their bikes and I don't have to be home to make them lunch or anything like that, you know. So that's good. Um, I do think, you know, what Sarah said, it's, you know, when it's when, when they're little, really little, it's like this physical exhaustion that that kind of hits you every day. And you're just like, oh, my God, if I have to like 
put on one more mitten or, you know, Velcro one more boot today. I might just lose my mind, you know, where it's a lot of like physical little tasks and running kind of releases the, but that lets that go and makes you realize that you are a strong and, and powerful human being that, you know, doesn't always just unwrap cheese sticks. And now I feel like, like Sarah was talking about, like the drama, there is, there's more drama, right? Like, you know, we're coming into a 13 year old girl who, you know, all of a sudden before, you know, used to shop from Land's End and now she wants a bikini, right? And like stuff like that, where I'm just like, wow, okay, this is different. And, you know, just a lot of time in a room by yourself and, you know, just processing like the different levels and that and now it feels kind of more of a mental release than a physical release. I really want to model healthy behavior for my kids. I really want them to see, I mean, I come home from a run now even, and I am like dancing in the kitchen with them and, you know, totally embarrassing them and, you know, tickling them and stuff. I'm in such a good mood. And, you know, and I, and I like that they see that that's how exercise makes me feel. And I want them, you know, whether or not they run or swim or bike or whatever they want to do, like I want them to, to soak up that habit and realize how important it is for their overall well-being. One of my favorite things um, that you guys do on Facebook and, and your other things is uh, your TMI Tuesdays, um, oh. where, where you talk about all the really fun, embarrassing things that happen to runners. Um, and, you know, I think runners are a little bit uh, like we don't get embarrassed really very easily. And, and I was going to ask you guys, what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you on a run? <laughs> you know, I don't know that there's any. I mean, I trip quite frequently i mean i've tripped i tripped once um in wash park which is like denver's equivalent of central park and i i was at that time i was really um into chi running so i had my metronome with me and so like i tripped and then my metronome still going beep 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 for the cadence you know and i'm just like oh my gosh i am just a big hot mess i have to say i thought of one tish and i think given our history you'll like my anecdote i was pacing my best running friend molly to her first sub two hour half marathon. And so of course we had to get matching outfits. So we had these really cute um, running skirt brand running skirts and uh, really cute um, knee highs and the same top. And they were the type of running skirt that just has the like little, um, basically they look like underwear underneath. They're not boy shorts. So they were, you know, just like bikini underwear basically underneath there. So I think we're looking all cute, but you know, I'm 5'11", so I have long legs. So a lot of times skirts look shorter on me than they do on other people. So I'm running and I am literally at mile nine. And this woman comes up alongside of me and I recognize her as somebody I'd met at the expo the day before. And I'm like, hi, and I'm all excited. And she goes, I just want to let you know that I can see your butt. (laughs) 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 It was that my skirt had like, was riding just way too high. And I was just like, Oh, okay. I think I just want to crawl off to the sideline and die now. <laughs> Cause I just thought, you know, I thought, Oh, here, Molly and I, we look so cute. And you know, we're wearing our badass mother runner shirts that totally coordinated with the skirt. I'm like, yeah. And my cheeks are hanging out. <laughs> so, so yeah. So there you go. Yeah. It's like, Oh, well, <laughs> you guys get to meet to, to, you know, to get out there and meet people in your community. And, um, you know, not to like put pressure on you to say like, who's the the best person you've ever met? But like, what, who's come to you and told you stories that really 
um, really touched you and really like made you super glad to be out there and meeting people? Someone immediately springs to mind. Um, it was we used to go to the run Disney races, and uh, and I was by Dimity had. Um, well, I think she maybe was running the, I don't know the 10k that morning or something, but she wasn't at the booth with me. And so this woman came up to me, and she must have been um, in her 50s, and she started telling me how she had never been a runner, and that her son, who was a member of the military, had been a really avid runner, and he was killed while he was on duty in Afghanistan. And so that, she, and I got chills just now, just remembering the conversation and she told me how she had taken up running and was training to do these races in his honor and she had cards printed with his picture on it and I just remember I I just I look like a super gruff person and but I cry you know at 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 AT&T ads I mean I just I and so just talking to this woman and I just she wasn't crying and I started to cry while she was talking to me and um I mean, and I, by the time Dimity came back, there I was, tears coming down my face, and I was holding this woman's hand, and she came back the next day, and I started to cry all over again, telling her how proud I was of her, and, um, yeah, so just the, knowing, just, and it just reminded me that there are as many reasons people run as there are runners, and you just never know somebody's story until they start telling it to you. And... Dimity, I would like to ask you, why is this kind of uh, such a great community right now, like right now in this time? Well, right now in this time, first of all, women are, you know, totally kicking ass and taking names as far as race participation goes, right? I mean, we make up the majority of all the race distances except for marathon and we're what, like 42 or 43 percent there already. So we're coming up on that. So you know, women are kind of claiming themselves as runners. And that is so cool, Um, especially when we see women, you know, that are taking up running after they have kids. You know, we have a lot of people who are, I'm not an athlete, I've never been on a team, I can't do this. And all of a sudden they start, you know, purposely putting one foot in front of the other and they take off. It's always so fun to meet somebody who is doing their first distance for the first time or, all this, like realizes that they have a total gift for running that they didn't know. They'll be like, oh yeah, I'm here for my second half marathon. We're like, oh great, you know, what, what's your goal or how, how'd you do in your first one? Oh, I ran a 149. You're like, uh-huh, yeah, great, good for you, go get it. You know, like they're really talented. So, you know, it's really fun because all these women are just taking taking the sport by storm. And then, and then, you know, we kind of bemoan social media and our smartphones and all that, but there's so many ways to connect and so many ways to cheer each other on, whether it's Facebook or Strava or Twitter. You're, you're acknowledged. Your miles today are acknowledged. They're seen. I am cheering for you. I mean, that goes a long way when you're, you know, in suburban, you know, wherever, United States, and you don't have any running friends, but you have a whole army of mother runners behind you around the country. Uh, you two, it was so nice to speak with you both. Thank you so much for coming to uh, the show and talking to us. It was our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Tish. You can join the Another Mother Runner community and subscribe to their podcast at anothermotherrunner.com. We will also have links to their website, Facebook page, Twitter account, and podcast at runnersworld.com audio. 
We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, a few strategies for making running in place more bearable and even enjoyable. It has been hot here at Runner's World HQ in Pennsylvania. Really hot. It's the kind of weather that can send even the toughest runner indoors and onto the treadmill. Now, of course, lots of runners love treadmills. In fact, almost half of our subscribers tell us that they run on treadmills, and over a quarter of them own treadmills that they keep in their own home. On the other end of the spectrum are runners who see treadmills as a necessary evil at best, and some people can't think of anything nice to say about them at all. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, it helps to have a few strategies to make the time go by a little quicker. On a particularly steamy day last week, producer Christine Fennessy spent her lunch hour learning how a few of her coworkers cope when they are cooped up. It's lunchtime, and I'm in a conference room full of treadmills. Two lines of the machines face each other. There's eight on one side and six on the other. Pounding away are a crew of Runner's World staffers, spending their lunch run inside testing the treadmills. There are no windows, just seafoam green walls with wood panel trim. There's air conditioning, but no fan. Sweat is pouring off everyone. It gets a little tight when you get a lot of bodies in here. You realize kind of how small the room really is. And I made all the treadmills face each other too. So, you know, you're staring at your coworkers' eyes the whole time. That's shoes and gear editor Jeff Dengate. A big part of Jeff's job is calling in gear that he then recruits staffers to test. Their feedback helps him write the reviews that appear in the magazine. He's got a big treadmill package coming up, and lucky for him, the oppressively hot weather here in Pennsylvania helped him lure in some testers. Now, I know my colleagues. For the most part, they are reluctant treadmill runners at best. So I'm curious how they stay sane when weather or work forces them to run in place. So I head over to reporter and frequent kick contributor Kit Fox. Tell me, what's your treadmill plan for the day? What are you doing here? Um, I'm testing out treadmills right now. That's my treadmill plan. This is about the only time you'll ever catch me on a treadmill, but it's fun. Why is that? Because I hate treadmills. And why is that? I am very mentally weak, and I feel like every treadmill just plays games with me. Time slows down. I feel like I've gone a lot further than I actually have. I will go on a treadmill if it's too hot outside, like it's 90, 95 today, or if there's a bunch of snow on the ground. That's about it. Okay, so so on these, you know, in in these moments where you are forced on a treadmill, what is what are your strategies? What sort of keeps you going from one tenth of a mile to the next? I always cover the console with like a towel or something. But what I've also found, I play a game. I try to see how long I can last without looking. And I'm even doing that game. I'm usually pretty mentally weak, so I'll last like eight minutes and think it was like 45. Um, so what I've started doing is I'll pop on like a playlist or a podcast, something with a definitive end. So I like doing playlists. So I'll say, I'm not allowed to look until after the seventh song. Usually that gets you to like, I don't know, like 25, 30 minutes. But it like, it's a definitive end of when I can look. And then, cause normally what happens is I'll look at the console and then all bets are off. I look at it every 10th of a mile or something. So if I'm doing a longer workout, I'll repeat that. So I'll do, I'm not gonna look after another seven songs. 
and then just kind of continue that pattern until you get close to the end. So do you feel particularly bad today because you forgot a towel and don't have one over your console right now? Uh, yeah. That and I don't have music. <laughs> so my strategies are out the window today. But we have like eight people here running, so we're chit-chatting, having some fun. So it's kind of like our normal group lunch runs that are outside, but we're all on treadmills. Okay, all right, I believe you. I head down the line of machines to where Robert Reese, our web producer, is trying to figure out his treadmill. Its base is curved upward slightly at both ends, and you don't turn it on like you do with a standard treadmill. The belt actually starts moving once you start moving. The faster you go, the faster the belt goes. It's a cool idea, it's just a bit of a trick getting used to it. I'm actually not sure you can talk and run on that thing at the same time. I'm not sure I can actually just run on this thing, period. I don't think I'm smart enough for this treadmill. Um, describe what you're, what you're running on and what it looks like and what it feels like. Okay, so I'm running on the Woodway Curve here. This is the first time, whoa, I just sped up again. This is the first time I've been on one of these and it takes a little getting used to. So I stepped on it expecting to go turn it on just like you would any other treadmill. But as soon as I did that, I started running. And that was a little drawing. It kind of looked like a banana in the shape, or like, if you will, a partial hamster wheel. And you're like in the curve there. And if you go further up to the front, it speeds up. And if you slide back to the back, you're afraid that you're gonna fall off the back. And so, if you're like me, you keep speeding up, because the further you get to the front, the faster it goes. So, but yeah, it's a really interesting treadmill. And so, what are your strategies, like, in the wintertime when you are stuck on a treadmill? What are your strategies to sort of, you know, keep yourself entertained or just a little more sane? Oh, it's all about the movies. You gotta pick good, action movies without a lot of dialogue. I had a long run this winter, watched uh, Al Pacino's Serpico. That was a good one. Usually end up just watching them on the iPad, just because it's a little easier to ha hook up the headphones and everything. So you can at least try to hear what's going on. I don't know if you noticed, I keep speeding up and slowing down. It's not intentional. I didn't mean to do intervals, but I'm doing intervals. I leave Robert to his unintentional intervals, hop on the deserted treadmill next to him, and hold the mic up to my very sweaty co-producer. Hi, Brian Dalek. Hey. How are you doing on the treadmill today? Um, let's see how I can talk when I get this up to like 10 or more. You just want to see how fast it goes? Yes, I do. Right. Please demonstrate. Don't fall. All right, 12. All right, we're maxed out at 12. And honestly, this is like the only way I find treadmills to be fun, is to like make them go as fast as possible to get the workout done. Otherwise, it's just uh, staring ahead of you and looking at a green wall like today. Okay, I'm going to get the sounds of your feet because you're going really fast. 
That is the sound of a five-minute mile. And I just turned it off because I'm done. And how do you feel about treadmill running in general? If I can go in with a workout in mind and just get it done in like 30 minutes, like an interval type of workout, they're not that bad, especially in the winter. Like say maybe all I want to do is 30 minutes and I know that really won't feel as good as 30 minutes outside. So after five minutes of warming up, maybe go hard for a half mile, rest for like a minute and just make it like a fart lick or type of mini interval workout for 30 minutes to just maximize that time. And I do think it speeds it up like mentally as well. Yes, I would agree. Are you done? I am done. By the way, that treadmill roundup that Christine mentioned will be coming out in January. For more tips on treadmill running, go to runnersworld.com slash audio. And now it's time for The Kick with Brian Dalek and digital editor Chris Michael. All right, on The Kick this week, I'm joined by Chris Michael for the first time. Now, we've had him on the show before, but it's your first kick, so you have to be very excited. I'm super excited to be here. (laughs) With the eye roll, he says that. (laughs) Yeah, so Chris and I, we were covering the Olympics from the lovely Pennsylvania Bureau as Sarah Lords Butler and Aaron Strout were down in Rio. But so we were watching everything as it unfolded from here. Oh, yeah. And, you know, just now that the games are over, uh, a lot of great moments, too many to go over in one kick. But I thought we should break it down with our favorite moments from the games. And, and since I love cereal, I want to put this out there as who we, who would we would want to see on the Wheaties box from a running standpoint. Okay. All right. So kick it off. Who, who would be on your first Wheaties box? Uh, well, you know, there's a lot to choose from, but I think if I had to to pick one, it would be uh, Matt Centrowitz in the men's 1500, mm-hmm. who uh, unexpectedly, I think, even possibly to him, mm-hmm. uh, broke uh, through a 108-year drought and managed to secure the gold. So this is the first time since 1908 that uh, um, that somebody's won a gold medal in the 1500 from yeah, America. And he was fourth in London four years ago. So, yeah, he had a shot, and he's obviously one of our best middle-distance runners. But for him to just come around that turn and hold the lead in the final stretch of that 1500 on Saturday night, that was a huge deal, not only the medal, but to get gold. And, and he was pumped about it. Oh, it was amazing. And, you know, the thing of it is is that the look on his face after he crossed the line— it was clear that he couldn't even believe that it had happened. I mean, mm-hmm. he was going up. He was going up against some really stiff competition, and he just managed to pull it off. And I think he did it just by, you know, pushing the front of the line and and being really, uh, just <laughs> really fast. Yeah, he made it his race. Like he ran that tactically, and it paid off in the end for him. Definitely. So yeah, he's my Wheaties box pick. So uh, Brian. Who would you pick on your, your Wheaties box? I think I saw, like, every single one of his races for the past three Olympics, so I have to go with Usain Bolt. He lights up the stadium whenever he's running. Yeah. And then, so he won the 100. We talked about that last week. So later last week, 
kind of easily wins the 200 again mm-hmm. and then goes on with his Jamaican team, is the anchor leg in the 4 by 100 He wins his third gold medal of this game. So that gives him the elusive triple-triple for winning the 100-200 4 by one in the past three Olympics. So that that's nine golds. That ties in with Carl Lewis and Pavo Nermi for the most of a runner in any Olympics. He's saying he's retiring, mm-hmm. but he's such at top speed. Wouldn't you love to see him run in Tokyo in four years? Oh, my goodness. Would I ever? I, you know, and I kind of want to see him run the 400 because I think he would really <laughs> kill it there. What other races? Isn't was, there a report that he, like, threw the javelin after the 4 by one and it, like, would have qualified him for the Jamaican team? I mean, let's put him in the decathlon. Let's see what Bolt can—maybe he just needs to change it up. I want to see him swim 200. <laughs> So Bolt, he's he's definitely a top pick for a Wheaties box. But I think, you know, we saw the story unfold as it happened. And I think the world saw it unfold as well. People love this story. It involved Abby D'Agostino. Oh, yeah. And, and Nikki Hamlin from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was one of the stories of the Olympics. They didn't even medal. They, so in the middle of the qualifier for the women's 5,000, mm-hmm. uh, had you know ran into each other accidentally and mm-hmm. went tumbling over each other. Uh, the whole rest of the pack took off, mm-hmm. and uh, D'Agostino stood up and saw her competitor curled in a ball on the ground. Mm-hmm. And she did what I think was one of the most surprising things, is that she turned around and helped... Uh, helped Hamblin up. Yeah, and we saw it in other races. When people go down, everyone else just keeps going. This wasn't the case here. You're in the middle of a race. For the Olymp- in the Olympics, yeah. Um, yeah, so she, she helped Hamblin up, and the two of them, you know, sort of stumblingly continued their run together, which was just astounding to watch. Yeah, so people love that. Huge ovation as both of them finished. They embraced at the finish line. D'Agostino messes up her MCL, her ACL, her meniscus, and her knee, so she's going to be out for a while. They were put into the finals. Hamblin was able to compete, but at a little bit slower pace. But in the end, um, the Olympic Games, they were awarded the Pierre de Coubertin medal, which goes to the, you know, the athlete who exemplifies the Olympic spirit the most. So an obvious choice for that award for those two. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Forget a Wheaties box. She deserves <laughs> to be on every cereal box. All right, so that puts a bow on the Rio Olympics, and you know now we just have to wait patiently four years for Tokyo. Right. And there were other running stories that we put up on the website besides Olympic coverage, and one involves a running couple that I think puts every other running couple to shame. Okay, so what's their story? Okay, so you got these two people named Ben and Candice Schneider. Um, ben is 32, Candice is 31. And at the Pavo Nermi Marathon in Wisconsin, okay. Candice has won the past five. And ben, in a row? Yeah, and Ben has won the past 10 in a row coming into this year's race. So we were going to watch to see what happened. And you know, sadly, um, they didn't win this year. They got runner-up for the first time. Neither of them won? Yeah, for the first time in, like, at least five years. Oh, my goodness. So first, what happened? Well, I think they both knew they were a little banged up. So Ben had an Achilles issue for, like, the past year. So he knew he wasn't 100%. Yeah. Candace had a foot issue that popped up kind of late in training, maybe, like, a week before. Uh-huh. And then she got through the half leading the race. And then after that, like... She heard another pop and a crack in her foot, so she 
couldn't maintain that pace, so she ended up having to like lower her pace a little bit. So, so how do they feel about this? Um, you know, I think for, you know from the report from our reporter John Kassane, you know, a little upset by it. You know, I think they wanted to keep that streak alive, but they're gonna respond. They're gonna go run the Berlin Marathon coming up. They don't expect to do great at that, but they're gonna try to enjoy the trip. Mm-hmm. But Ben has a family cabin. That's how he grew to know about the race. So. Uh-huh. I think they're they're ready to just come back next year at full health and try to take another crack at this race. Okay, so final thing. Earlier in this episode, we heard a lot about how we're testing treadmills. I just came back from that. Again, inside, super sweaty on treadmills. It's hot outside, so right. like I think we've all been sweating throughout the afternoon, which leads to a lot of funk when it comes to the laundry pile at home. I know I've been hearing a lot about it lately, especially that I don't do laundry right. (laughs) So you helped get a story up on just kind of the best techniques for laundry for runners. Yeah. So what am I doing wrong, Chris? Well, so first, uh, you know, this was a story that did uh, surprisingly well, and actually it shouldn't be that surprising given how (laughs) hot it is out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was there was some really interesting stuff that that uh, this story ended up uh, talking about. So one of the things is is and and a question I've always had is, do you really need to hand wash your clothes? I don't you know? th- I I don't know if I've ever hand washed anything unless I was trying to get maybe a stain out. But it always says that on the tag. And I, it does. And I worry. <laughs> The truth is you don't need to. Okay. As long as you're washing it on gentle cycle, most okay. machines can handle. You think they have the technology down to like kind of get the hand washing there? They've got that down okay, so you can rest assured. Okay. Um, but the one thing that you might be doing wrong is using fabric softener. That I'm definitely doing. Yeah, don't use fabric softener. Ever. Okay, so why? So why? I mean, it gives it a little bit of a fresher feeling, but I'm assuming it really messes it up somehow that I'm not aware of. Well, so how fabric softener works is Please that it makes clothes <laughs> feel softer. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes clothes feel softer by by coating them in a in a very thin wax-like substance. Mm-hmm. Well, what this substance also does is prevent those clothes from absorbing water. Mm-hmm. Okay. The one thing that you want your pers- your performance <laughs> fabrics to do is to wick water. Oh. Yeah. So basically, by making them feel a little bit softer, you're also making it impossible for them to remove the sweat from your from your body. Okay. So it's going to trap in maybe a little bit of that smell. It absolutely will. Okay, so I'm definitely doing that wrong. Anything else I should know? Or um, you know, there's a whole bunch of really interesting stuff. One of the things that I thought uh, was also useful: you don't want to use too much detergent uh, because detergent also has a has does the same thing. It can prevent, if, especially if it sticks in your clothes, it mm-hmm. can prevent your clothes from wicking water. There's a really easy fix for this, Please. which is use the extra rinse cycle on oh, all okay. your performance fabrics. Yeah. Just just make sure that you use the extra long rinse cycle. It'll wash the rest of that stuff out. Your clothes will last that much longer. Again, that's something I'm definitely not doing because I'm lazy. And it's, <laughs> but it's not that hard to do. Right. It's just another, like, what, 10 minutes? Exactly. Okay, cool. Well, in the, this was great. We learned a lot about how to do clothes. You can find out more on the website. But, uh, yeah, thanks for coming down, Chris. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. That's it for this week's show. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. We really have appreciated all the feedback we've gotten so far, and it is helping us make a better show. I'm Runner's World Editor-in-Chief David Willey. This show was produced by Mervyn Degaños, Sylvia Ryerson, Christine Fennessy, and Brian Dalek. 
The Runner's World Show is part of the Panoply Network. Be sure to join us next week. We have a special show planned. I'll be hosting a roundtable of Runner's World experts who will be talking about the marathon and answering all your questions about running 26.2. Questions about training, about race tactics, about nutrition and hydration. I promise you, this advice will help you run your first or your fastest marathon. You won't want to miss it.